this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Good morning, Open Door Church. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. I thank uh, Pastor Nate and Pastor Adam for having us here. Um, as Adam said, we uh, are, well, I don't know if he said this, we are missionaries. So we, um, we do campus ministry at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley with an organization called Chi Alpha Campus Ministry. Um, and Chi Alpha is, uh, if you don't know what Chi Alpha is, Chi Alpha is, um, I think, this really incredible organization that uh, is on campuses across the U.S. and even in other countries. And um, our heart is uh, discipleship and evangelism. You know, we think that uh, the, the campus, the college campus is the... Um, I'm blanking on the, the word. Yes, strategic. We think, we, we believe that the college campus is the most strategic mission field in the world because you have people from every nation coming to our campuses here in the U.S. People from nations that are hard to reach coming to our campuses. I just met um, four or five Chinese students on our campus at, in Greeley, Colorado, of all places. I'm always like, why, why Greeley? I don't, you know, you could have gone like to a number of universities, but um, they have chosen our, our campus to study, and we have them for a time period where we can reach them with the gospel. And in, in China, it's very difficult, right? It's, it's underground. So it's a really cool and unique opportunity that we have um, while they're in the U.S. And, and not only that, but but college is a time uh, that, that most people, you know, that you, you graduate high school and you just don't know what you want to do with your life. You don't know who you are and you're trying to figure that out. And so we have this unique time in students' lives where we can reach them with the good news of Jesus maybe before they decide who they are. And um, so I, am, I, I feel very blessed that we get to do this ministry um, and I'm going to be discussing uh, today one of, one of my favorite topics, something that we are passionate about in Chi Alpha, and um, that is discipleship. Discipleship is one of the five-fold ministries of Chi Alpha. We have worship, evangelism, discipleship, prayer, and um, missions. Yeah. <laughs> I should know these by now. Um, Discipleship is one of our five, like, strong suits. It's something we really focus on. Um, discipleship is, I, th I think, I think when I, I grew up in the church, and when I heard the word discipleship, it was, it felt like just a word that was kind of thrown around, which maybe meant, you know, you come to church on Sunday and you, like, are discipled by the pastor, and, and that was my conception of discipleship for a long time. Um, I believe that discipleship is both a calling and a mandate. It's a calling and a mandate. 
It is a calling in that we are called to be disciples of Jesus, to submit to him, to follow him. Often this also means being discipled by an older, more, uh, you know, more farther along in their walk uh, Christian. Someone who is a devout, devout follower of Jesus, having someone to look to as an example. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It is a mandate because we are commanded by Jesus to make disciples. And I think this doesn't often, as we are led to believe, just mean evangelism. I think when I, when I, when I think about how I think about the Great Commission, it's always been make disciples means just make converts. And that, that was the extent of it. But I, I do believe evangelism is a step in the process of discipleship, but it is not the end of discipleship. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, how Chi Alpha impacted me personally, and how uh, dis really discipleship impacted me and why I'm, I am doing what I do today. Then I'm going to talk about the qualifications of being Jesus' disciple, what it means to be a disciple, and how discipleship uh, is a mandate to make disciples of Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to make disciples? And practically, how do we do that? So we've got a lot to cover, but it's going to be good. So first, uh, discipleship is a calling. Um, I've got a picture of myself in high school. This was high school, Peter. And um, I was on the hockey team at the time. That was probably the best photo I could find. <laughs> Most other photos, I kind of look like a goof. Um, I, I went to a Christian high school, and um, I viewed myself as a good Christian kid. You know, I wasn't like drinking or doing drugs or, you know, I, I, I called myself a Christian. I went to youth group. Um, but the moment I left the doors of the church, that's really where my walk with Jesus ended. I knew about Jesus and I knew like stories of the Bible because I had grown up listening to them, not because I had experienced them myself or even read them myself. When it came down to it, I would choose video games over Jesus. I would choose girls over Jesus. I would choose my, the own desires of my heart over Jesus. I was, at the time, I was addicted to porn with no intention of stopping, and I was going too far with my girlfriend at the time. But I put off like I was this good Christian kid who had it all figured out, who was all in for Jesus. And I did have some morals, you know, I, like I said, I wasn't you know, going to parties or getting drunk on the weekends or, um, and I, I had decided at a young age that I like wouldn't have sex before marriage. Um, but it was, it was, a, it was a rule. It wasn't out of love for Jesus that I didn't want to hurt him. It was because I had made this rule in my heart that in order to be a good Christian, I need to just not have sex before marriage. So I didn't, um, but I would walk as close to that line as, as possible um, without actually crossing it. My life was not really submitted to Jesus. I followed Jesus until it conflicted with my own desires and passions. Like I said, like I, said I went to a Christian high school in, in the South Denver metro area called Valor Christian. And I distinctly remember I was sitting in chapel one day and uh, the, 
one of the teachers got up and, and every week we would have chapel and there would be a message shared. And the, uh, the teacher was discussing this very thing of like being holy before the Lord about, about um, what it means to like make boundaries with your girlfriend or boyfriend. And um, I remember feeling very convicted by the Holy Spirit that I had been going way too far that I'd been doing things that God was, was not okay with, that I was grieving him by my sins. And Jesus was telling me to stop, to repent. Um, but I hardened my heart because I wanted to do those things more than I wanted Jesus. I walked out of that room with a hard heart towards God, and I continued doing what I shouldn't. Uh, I, I graduated from high school in 2011, and I went to Colorado State University in um, Fort Collins, that's the name, to pursue a, de a degree in engineering, and uh, I joined Chi Alpha because I knew that that's what, you know, that's what all my college counselors and my parents and everyone said, you know, you got you to gotta join a campus ministry. It's like, okay. Um, and I've actually got a a uh, picture of my small group. I joined a small group. It was very small. It was, there's the, uh, the guy taking the photo was my small group leader. Like, you can't see him, but that was our small group. And um, <laughs> for the very first time, I made the decision to follow Jesus myself. I, it wasn't like my parents brought me to church or I, um, uh, or like there was a girl at youth group I liked. It was, it was my own decision to follow Jesus, to start pursuing God. And it was during this time that I realized just how deep in sin I was, how, how far from the Lord I was. I realized that I was not really a disciple of Jesus. I was an onlooker. I was looking for Jesus to make me feel better about myself but my life was not submitted to him. I wanted Jesus to save me from hell, but I didn't want him to inf interfere with the plans I had made for myself. For the first time, I was actually discipled by someone. My small group leader, a guy named Sterling, um, had reached out to me, and the very first week of classes, we were like playing volleyball, and he's like, hey, you're in my small group. And I was like, okay, <laughs> whatever that means. I had never been to a small group before before this time. Um, and it was, it was during this time that I found real community in my small group. I grew a lot in my walk with Jesus, and I finally got my priorities straight. I then, um, despite many of my problems, I still, you know, still was walking in a lot of sin and trying to figure that out. Um, I became a small group leader. Um, they trusted me with, uh, the, the, uh, the keys to the kingdom, if, if you will. They trusted me to lead other students. And, um, and this was challenging. This was really difficult. It was the first time that, that I felt like responsible for other people's walks with Jesus. During this time, Jesus showed me what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples. I was uh, 
when in Chi Alpha, when when you become a small group leader, you're, you're, um, the person that is discipling you changes from your small group leader to a resource group leader. So there's a guy named Duncan um, who started discipling me, and and again, it was just it was more going deeper, right? It was we would meet weekly, and and he would challenge me. He would challenge me in what I was doing. He would challenge me in. Um, in kind of my obsession over uh, girls, I was a little obsessed. It was like all I thought about. You know, I'd be sitting in chemistry class thinking about who I'm gonna ask out. And, and Duncan was like, hey, um, why don't you think about the Lord? <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to repent of this. Praise God, praise God. I had an idol in my life, and he was, he was leading me away from that. It was actually uh, about a year later that I uh, met my wife, Ashley. She was also in Chi Alpha, and we went on a mission trip together to Costa Rica. Um, and I annoyed her. Uh, I liked her, obviously. And uh, for some reason, I thought that it would make her notice me and like me back if I would like do the middle school boy thing and like trip her. So the entire mission trip, I was tripping her. It really was a mission trip, um, <laughs> if you will. And sorry, that's a bad dad joke. Uh, it took her about a year to recover, a year to, for me to mature and, and her to realize that I wasn't just this annoying freshman. Um, Ashley's older than me, so that's probably, probably why. Um, and then we, we got married, and, um, and we... We, uh, we got married and moved to Denver, started working, um, and I was, I was kind of running from my calling. I think that uh, during college, the Lord had called me into missions, and uh, yeah, that's our marriage. That's Duncan, by the way, the guy who is discipling me. Um, I was kind of running from my calling, and I worked in a jail, and I didn't really like it very much, <laughs> and... Uh, Worked some various other jobs, and, and it was during this time that the, that the Lord said, I have called you to something, and you're, you're ignoring that. And so I, I started um, kind of looking for a ministry job, and I interned at a church for a while as a youth intern. And Duncan, um, my resource group leader, called me uh, in right before our son, Luca, was born, about five years ago, and, or I guess six years ago, five years ago. Five years ago, and and he was he said, "Hey, I'm planting a new Chi Alpha. I'm starting a new Chi Alpha at the University of Northern Colorado. At at the moment, it does not have one. Um, and so we we took about six months to pray about it, and uh, the Lord directed us to 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 become missionaries, to leave our jobs, and um, trust Him, trust Him with our finances, trust Him with our life, and." Um, and so now we, we started Chi Alpha UNC in 2014. No, not 2014, 2018. And uh, so we've been there for about three years now, and it's going really well. The Lord is moving in a lot of, a lot of really cool ways. Um, but my point with all of this is that I, for a long time, was following Jesus when it was convenient for me. And I think that, I think that is a common problem. 
in the church. Um, it's, it's easy to follow Jesus until he asks you to stop doing something that you like doing. There are a lot of Christians parading around as if they follow Jesus, but in reality, they are just onlookers. They are like I was. Christian by culture, not actually by faith. They have no interest in learning from Jesus. They just want to be healed of their problems and go on their merry way. They want to be blessed by God, but never inconvenienced by him. It's really interesting. Um, when you look at the life of Jesus, he often preached to large groups of people. And um, most of them were just onlookers. They were just there to hear a cool teaching, maybe get healed, um, maybe see a miracle. Few were truly committed to the person of Jesus. Many were hoping to ride the wave of Jesus to, uh, to maybe, you know, a new kingdom here on earth or even to eternal life, but few actually were walking like Jesus commanded them to. Um, I like to think that... Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. As the group grew, as the group grew, he would begin to teach hard things and pare them down. So we're going to be looking at one such instance in Luke chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. It says, now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, Every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now let's read that first line again. Now great crowds were traveling with him. Jesus at this point in his ministry was a pretty popular guy. I'm, I'm sure that a lot of uh, wannabe megachurch pastors would, would be following him and, and saying, Jesus, what, like, what are you doing? What are, what are the like tricks to get a big crowd. They would be asking him how he grew his church so quickly, looking for little principles they could apply for themselves. But Jesus isn't interested in having a lot of audience members. Jesus isn't interested in having a bunch of people attend his seminar or his TED talk so he can grow his audience and become popular. So he presents a hard teaching. He says, you must hate your father and mother, sisters and brothers, wives and children. And he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he says, you must renounce all of your possessions to be my disciple. These are like really hard teachings. Now at the time, there, um, there were actually a lot of customs relating to family. Family was like 
life in this day and age. Um, I've got a picture of a common prosperous person's house in ancient Israel. And um, this house would hold three generations of family. Imagine you, your brothers and sisters, your parents, your uncles and aunts, your cousins, and your grandparents all living on the upper floor and your, your animals below you. You would grow up in a house with many of your relatives, and the towns were often small and very closely connected. Jesus isn't actually saying that you need to hate your parents or hate your life. He isn't like an angsty teenager. He is saying that you may have to leave them. Your family is everything. Your dad is probably expecting you to, to carry on the family business. And that might look a lot like hate if you leave and follow this person named Jesus. You may have to leave the life you once led. You may have to leave your families, your family, your friends, and that may seem like you hate them. To bring it to today, you may stop acting the same way as you used to. Maybe, maybe you uh, regularly get drunk on the weekends and you stop doing that. Maybe instead of uh, spending some quiet time with your family on Sunday mornings, instead you're attending church. Maybe uh, you're going to a small group during the week instead of you know, relaxing and watching the Broncos game or whatever. Your commitment to your parents, your brothers and sisters, your friends cannot be more important to you than your commitment to Jesus. You cannot start following Jesus and lead the same life you led before. Your love for Jesus must far exceed that of even the closest people in your life. All right, let's continue. Then Jesus says, like someone building a tower or a king in war, you need to sit down and count the cost of following Jesus before you can be his disciple. You can't go into this willy-nilly. You can't just one day decide, I'm going to you know, give up everything and follow Jesus. Don't you dare enter into this without first sitting down and seeing if submitting your life to God is something you're willing to do. Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus without submitting to your life to him, you will become a hypocrite pretty quickly. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? His grace, his grace may be free, but following him will cost you everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about the cost of following Jesus. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. 
It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it got cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Following Jesus will cost you. And I don't want you to enter into this without first realizing that. Realizing that this isn't just a system of beliefs that you adopt so that you can go to heaven. A friend, uh, a friend of mine, Andrew Murph, told me this once. He said, uh, if you get to heaven and Jesus is not there, will you still enjoy it? If you get to heaven and Jesus isn't there, it's not heaven. All right. Following Jesus is a life-changing journey that you start today and continue on for the rest of your existence. Let's go back to the text. Jesus says, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Greek word here for uh, renounce is apotasitai. And it just means give up rights to. Give up rights to. I was reading in a, uh, uh, a commentary, and the commentary said this. Here, in contrast to the cares of the rich young ruler, Jesus does not say that his disciple should sell all his possessions and give everything away. His thought probably is that of abandonment of things, yielding up the right of ownership rather than the outright disposal of them. The disciple may be given the use of things in trust as a stewardship, but they are no longer his own. The present tense implies that what Jesus requires in relation to possessions is a continual attitude of abandonment. Jesus is saying that you cannot be possessed by anything. You can have things, but the things cannot have you. If anything or anyone comes before Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Is anything or anyone in your life, is there anything or anyone in your life that you are hiding from Jesus? Is there anything that you are holding back behind your back and saying, no, Lord, you can't have this, that you're not willing to give up? I want to encourage you to surrender those things to Jesus this morning. Saying, Jesus, you can have anything in my life except this thing. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a, a particular pastime. Maybe it's something you know is wrong, but you continue to do. Jesus is looking for disciples, not just onlookers. Not just an audience. I think that the word disciple uh, has actually lost a lot of its meaning in recent years. Uh, if you went up to someone and you told them that you're a disciple of Jesus, they probably would think that it just meant you're like the average Christian, like by culture. 
that you're, um, that you're for certain things and against other things. Um, but I think it's a lot more than that. Dallas Willard um, likes to refer to disciples as apprentices. I think that word has a lot more meaning in our day and age. Je following Jesus is like an apprenticeship or an internship. If you apprentice or intern under someone, you are learning a trade. You are learning how to do something. Let's say uh, you're apprenticing under an electrician or a plumber or how to run a business. You are learning how to do those things. It's more than a set of beliefs, right? I think apprenticeship is a good word for this um, because you're going to like follow around the person you're apprenticing under. And you're gonna do whatever that person asks. That person tells you to go get something, go get a wrench, you're gonna run and go grab that wrench, right? Sometimes it's a menial task, like grabbing a wrench. Sometimes um, it's, hey, you've seen me do this before. Why don't you give it a shot? I'll watch. And then eventually it's, hey, I know that you can do this. I'm going to go do this other thing while you're doing this. Apprenticeship is all-consuming. It isn't just, I believe in God and am someday going to heaven because of it. It would be weird to apprentice under electric an electrician and for you to know that electricity is dangerous, uh, but it not affect the way you work with electricity, right? Like, if, if your belief about this doesn't change the way that you are doing the thing that you're apprenticing, you're not actually learning anything. Like, if you don't turn off the power first, that's like probably the first thing they teach you, right? You're going to get shocked. You are expected to use the knowledge that you gain. It's not just a belief, but it's something that changes the way you live. A real follower of Jesus is always learning from him, is always seeking him out, is always doing what he does, spending time with him at his feet. A real follower of Jesus is being his apprentice is learning what it means to walk in the same ways that Jesus walked, to live the kind of lifestyle that Jesus lived, submitting yourself to his authority, submitting yourself to God, and even taking correction from him. An apprentice would not be a very good apprentice if when, you, when, he, when the apprenticer, the, I don't know what you call that, the master electrician or whatever, um, says to do something this way and then you don't do it that way. <laughs> the guy would be like, what? What are you doing? Do you even want to be a part of this if you're not going to do what I tell you to? Another quote from Dallas Willard. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Don't get me wrong here. God's offer of grace is a free gift. It's not something that you have to earn. You don't have to pray five times a day 
or go to confession a certain number of times a week or, or uh, you know, travel to some site and worship God in this specific site. But you do have to submit your life to God. You do have to give God your will and try to walk in his ways. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. We cannot earn God's favor, but that doesn't mean that following Jesus doesn't require effort. So I want to ask you the question today. Where are you with Jesus? Are you just an onlooker? Today's the day to commit, to count that cost. Jesus is calling you to more than mere belief. He wants to be Lord of all of your life. And Jesus has a claim on your life. You have been bought at a price. You don't own your life. Jesus does. Submit to him and he will give you true life. He wants you to be an apprentice, not just an audience. Do you remember earlier I said that discipleship is a calling and a mandate? I want to talk about how discipleship is also a mandate. Jesus commands us in Matthew 28 to make disciples. Many of you have probably heard this, but I think it's good to go back to this time and time again. Chapter 18, and, or uh, verse 18, And Jesus approached and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days until the end of the age. If you've spent any time in church, you've probably heard this. Um, but I, I want to remind you that this is not a command for, like, the elites of Christianity. It's not just for the pastors and missionaries. It's not just for the Billy Grahams. It's not just for even the really outgoing among us. Discipleship is for all. It's a calling for all, and it is a mandate for all. Most Christians, when they hear the Great Commission, they think it means going out into the streets and doing evangelism. And that's part of it. Maybe, uh, or, even, or even maybe going into your workplace and like talking to people about Jesus. And again, it is that. But it's more than that. It is a way of life, inviting people into your life and showing them Jesus. It is learning from Jesus and letting what you are learning come out naturally. Like, if you love the Lord and you spend time with him, that's going to come out naturally. It's not something you have to force. It's praying for your coworkers, praying for your neighbors. Oswald Chambers says, Our work is not to save souls, but to disciple them. Salvation and sanctification are the work of God's sovereign grace, and our work is, as his disciples, is to disciple others' lives until they are totally yielded to God. It goes beyond just going out into the streets and doing evangelism or talking to your friend about Jesus. It's seeing the young person in your church that hasn't been walking with Jesus as long as you have and asking them out to coffee, befriending them, sharing the ways you have struggled before and the way, what has God has done in your life to overcome those things, counseling them when they are struggling with something, and maybe even 
learning from them. Young Christians need older Christians in their lives. They need their wisdom, life experience, and knowledge. But older Christians need younger Christians' energy, excitement, and fire. Churches that don't have older folks and younger folks like severely suffer because with, if it's just young people, they often lack wisdom and long-suffering. But if it's just older folks, they often lack that, that energy and that excitement about what God is doing. Often, not always. We need to disciple this up-and-coming uh, generation. It's a, it's a passion of mine. That's why I'm in Chi Alpha. That's the main thing that I do week to week is like discipling college students in the ways of Jesus. It's a passion of mine to meet with younger Christians and guide them in the ways of Jesus. But even I need older folks to guide me. I need wisdom and, and uh, patience and, and, and older Christians can offer that. People who have been walking with Jesus longer. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this incredible verse, we actually get four, four generations of disciples. We have Paul who taught Timothy and Timothy who commits the teaching that Paul gave him to faithful men who will then go and teach others also. I want to challenge you, if you have been walking with God for any length of time, I want to challenge you to, to reach out to someone that's younger than you and, and disciple them. Maybe don't like go up to them and say, hey, hey kid, I want to disciple you. They might get kind of freaked out by that. But just ask them out to coffee. Get to know them. Befriend them. Pray for them. And, and younger people... You know, go up to someone who's older and say, hey, I need wisdom in my life. Will you, will you go to coffee with me? And, and weekly, monthly, just help me to follow Jesus. I promise you that that person will be very honored by you asking them that. Maybe find younger people either in your church or your workplace or your neighborhood. Ask them out to coffee or lunch. Buy them lunch. Young people are, you know, notoriously poor. <laughs> Share your story. Find out similarities and differences. And don't let that just be a one-time thing. Invite them over to your house and into your life. Let it happen naturally. Open up to them and they will eventually open up to you. And always point them back to Jesus. Um, one, one note, when they open up to you, as they will eventually, don't be shocked by what they share. <laughs> don't like drop your jaw at some terrible sin that they've been committing. Because if you do, they will, you'll lose them. <laughs> it's true, it's true. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Discipleship is very messy. Worship team, if you guys want to. Oh, do we do worship at the end? How's that work? Sweet. 
discipleship is very messy and it never follows a straight line from like unsaved to Christ-like. It's not like always up. It's, there's going to be a lot of up and down. Maybe they'll ghost you for a while, stop texting you back, keep reaching out to them. I mean, look at Jesus' disciples. They spent three full years with him. And uh, at the end, they were still like really rough. <laughs> they needed like the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that. Always forgive, welcome them back in, guide them back to Jesus every time. Be discipled and disciple others. So again, I want to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus or are you just an onlooker? Are you making disciples uh, or are you just kind of coasting? Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.